The Mets get swept at home versus the Cubs? How this NL East will come down to the wire and when can we expect this team to wake up? I'll have the latest with the wildcard races and can the Guardians wrap up the AL Central in the next week? I'll take a peek at the upcoming schedules in college football in the NFL. Suns owner Robert Sarver gets a year suspension and a $10 million fine. Should it have been more? What about expulsion? And what in the hell is going on with Daniel Snyder in Washington? Happy you stopped by to listen to the above and then some as another Fast and Furious podcast is on deck. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as we've reached the midway point of the month. And to think, we're exactly one week away from the fall season. As I said, enjoy these final seven days because no matter what may people say, and even though it's a little bit of a chill in the air here in the Northeast, but it is still summer. And yes, people could say, J Reels, let it go. Summer's over. We can't go to the beach. We can't go to the pool. Put the shorts away. Uh uh-uh. uh. Until it's officially fall, let us rejoice in this moment. I cannot let it go because it is still official. But really, what's official is the latest edition of this podcast. So enjoy what's about to take place as we take a trip through the sports galaxy together over the next hour. Is this is the J Reels podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. A little bit of this, a little bit of that on this podcast as I'll get into the schedules for not only a week two in the NFL, with two Monday night games upcoming, and why didn't they do that here this past Monday? I guess they wanted Denver and Seattle as the standalone game, but... I'll get into what will lie ahead for a week two as well as a week three in college football. So I'll get into that later on, as well as Robert Sarver. And I know that this has kind of flown under the radar, and LeBron James and even Adam Silver have both come out, more so James, as far as the punishment's concerned. This is because of terrible behavior and improper conduct when it comes to the workplace 
and the morale of what's gone on there in Phoenix. I got my take, and considering that the NBA has come down on one of their owners, what is happening with Daniel Snyder? Why the half-stepping? What is going on? I have my two cents that I'm certainly going to slide across the table to add, and it is not going to be pretty. So that will come later on in the podcast, and we have to start off with what's happening in baseball. And when we look at these divisions, and I understand that this is now hammering the same nail into the wood for the last five or six weeks or so. But it's interesting because I'll get to the Guardians in a little bit. Now it's boiled down to one division that we're really going to pay attention to. And who knows, by next week at this time, the Guardians could probably already raise the division flag to the top of the flagpole out in Cleveland. But this Met team is going to drive me to drink. And I'm not trying to say that they had a runaway with this division I'm not trying to say that they should have coasted, although you would think that they're coasting, especially their offense, here over the last couple of weeks, and in particular the last three days at City Field, where this team has gone into a slumber to where the Chicago Cubs, a team that has been out of the race since probably June 1st, a team that came into City Field losing seven of their last eight road games, a team that was 58-82, and a team that does not have a Rick Sutcliffe from 1984 that won a Cy Young in a big trade that brought him to Chicago, that he was 16-1 and and they won the National League East at that time. It's certainly not even a Jake Arrieta who won a Cy Young in 2015 and backed that up with a Cy Young caliber season to go along with John Lester and off the top of my head a couple of other pitchers that the Cubs had in the 2016 year that won a World Series and finally broke a curse that lasted over 100 years no none of those Cub players and even the players for that matter so you didn't see Anthony Rizzo or Javier Baez or Chris Bryant or Kyle Schwarber Uh -uh, none of those guys were in uniform for the Cubs over the last three days but what they did was completely embarrass the Mets to the tune where the Mets only scored six runs in the three days six runs in the first inning yesterday off of Dave Peterson who couldn't get his way out of a wet paper bag And now we have to stare at a pirate team that is just as bad coming into City Field. And thankfully, we had Chris Bassett and Jacob deGrom in a day-night doubleheader where the Mets were able to sweep two games last Wednesday in Pittsburgh in order to salvage that series after getting embarrassed 8-2 in the opening game. But with this team, I don't know what to expect now. This is a team that, as I said, for the whole year, and their record as it is at the moment is what, 89-55? and 55? This team has been as consistent as any team in baseball this side of Los Angeles. Because we know the Dodgers have run and hid and could probably win 111 games this year. But when we now look at this team, forget about the record now, forget about what had taken place over the first four plus months of the season. It's all about this moment here. And with the Braves losing two out of three in Seattle, and with the Braves losing two out of three in San Francisco, the Mets were only able to gain one game over that time, where if they just took care of business, even if they would have won yesterday, they would have had a game and a half lead going into today, where the Braves are off, and they have the Phillies seven of the next ten games upcoming, including three this weekend in Atlanta. But with a day off for the Braves, and for the Mets to have a game tonight, first of four against the Pirates, Can they win this game? Is it possible? Can their bats finally wake up? What in the hell is going on with this team to where 
Yes, there's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be stretches. There's going to be streaks. There's going to be highs, lows, peaks, valleys. Understood. But you're playing down to your competition here. Do you think that you could just look at the schedule and say, oh, the Cubs are coming in. They've been off a little year. We're just going to throw our gloves on the field and we're going to have a tidy 5-2 victory. And then the next night we may blow them out. And yeah, there may be a nail biter somewhere in between, but we'll come out with a sweep and we'll take care of business and maybe be two or three games ahead in the division. And away we go. That is not the case. That is not how it works. And now we have to wonder whether or not this team is going to wake up because after this four-game series against Pittsburgh, they have a bit of a tricky road trip. They go to Milwaukee for three to start off the week. And then with a day off, they go to Oakland to play the A's. And I'm not going to sit here to think that Milwaukee's going to be tough and they're fighting for their playoff lives, especially in the wild card. And knowing that every game for them is going to be a playoff game from here to the end of the season. But I can't sit here to think that, all right, Milwaukee's going to be tough. We could get one game and then go to Oakland and think we're going to sweep. Look at the way they've been playing over the course of the last two weeks. And we were singing hallelujah, praises, when the Dodgers, we beat them two out of three, what was it, two weeks ago today. And knowing that we had the Nationals at home for a weekend, and then we went to Pittsburgh, and then to Miami, and then this homestand here with the Cubs and Pirates. And what have we done since then? We've pretty much played 500 baseball. We know Washington embarrassed us in the back end of that three-game series at Citi Field. Yes, I talked about the Pirates winning that first game before the Mets took that doubleheader after a rainout Tuesday. Miami, game one, they probably hung out the night before during a day off and didn't get their bearings until they finally got on track to where they beat up the Marlins pitching over the back two games of that series. And then you lead into the Cubs series where you figure, okay, win two out of three, you settle for that, you'd be happy. And if we did do that, we would have a little bit of a cushion going into this game tonight where we could extend our lead by a half game. Or I should say another half game. But as it is, if we win tonight, it'll be one full game as opposed to the half game. And who knows, they lose tonight, they're going to go into the weekend, even with the Phillies playing in Atlanta, tied for first. And I'm not happy about it. And I get it that this offense has struggled because Starling Marte, who you would think is probably the team MVP, considering the year that Pete Alonso has had and even Francisco Lindor, where average-wise he has not been good, but he has a career high in RBIs for a season. And this team who all of a sudden they can't get the bats going and it's not a great offensive team to begin with. It's very resourceful, especially when you look at a guy like Starlin Marte who has had a very good year in his first year in a Met uniform. And with that fractured finger, who knows how much longer he's going to be out. But who would have thought that this guy would be, I'm not going to say the straw that stirs the drink, but he is a key component to that offense to where you could see they have struggled. Other than the two games in Miami, but they have not been able to hit here. And it's not as if they're going up against Cy Young Award winners. It's baffling to say the least how you have to wonder the psyche of this team And yes, I'm sure they're tired. It's been a long season to date. I'm sure psychologically the Braves with them just being relentless despite the fact that they've lost four of their last six games. But knowing that they're like the boogeyman, they're still around. The horror movie isn't over yet. And oh, by the way, two weeks from tomorrow, 
They're going to have a season-defining series, which could be for the division in Atlanta. And one thing you have to remember, there's no game 163 if they end up tied at the end of 162 games. So all the Mets need to do in Atlanta is win one game. Would you settle for that? Absolutely not. You'd want to get minimum two. But if they do win one, they will have the season series victory over the Braves because currently, as it's constituted, the Mets are 9-7 and seven against Atlanta. So if they do happen to have the same record by October 5th, which is three weeks from yesterday, I believe that's the fifth off the top of my head. But in the final game of the season, if they're both tied, and if the Mets do get one more game in Atlanta, then they'll win the division. So they don't have to worry about game 163. They don't have to worry about a coin flip to who hosts that, for all intents and purposes, playoff game. And then whomever wins that game will be able to put their feet up and play in the division series where the loser will have to be a wild card. So the Mets job, and they can't worry about that now, in another 14, 15 days they could look at that and say, we need to get one, but can they beat the Pirates? And I don't want to split here. This should be three out of four, but would I be shocked if the Pirates go in there and split this four-game series? Dare I even say win three out of four? And if that's the case, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening with the team. I don't know if Buck has to get involved. I get it. It's not a sky is falling type of proposition. But this is going to be telling these next four games because after this, like I said, Milwaukee, which they could be hot and cold, and they have very good starting pitching. So if the Mets aren't able to hit against the Cubs or even the Pirates, what makes you think they're going to hit against the Brewers on the road? And then Oakland, I don't want to hear, oh, we're going to win two out of three. Uh Uh-uh. So this series, and I mentioned this yesterday on my TikTok feed, the J Reels podcast. That was a must-win for the Mets yesterday, even with the Braves losing in the afternoon against San Francisco. Because they had to salvage at least one of these games against the Cubs. Now, we just hope it doesn't snowball into this series to where now the Mets are really scuffling to where they lose tonight, and then they're tied for first place, and then it's... Oh, geez, now what do we do? So we shall see. And, of course, no run support for Jacob DeGrom the other night. I know for him that was a bad start. What was it, six innings, three runs, four hits, no walks, ten strikeouts? And to think that's a pedestrian, almost an average start, where a lot of pitchers in baseball would take that as a quality start. I'm not only frustrated, but I'm angry at this team. And I'm not trying to say they had to steamroll these teams or just pretty much sweep the Cubs, Marlins, whomever's in front of them, just win these series. That's all they ask. They pretty much won a ton of series here in the first three and a half months of the season. But recently, we've seen them stub their toe. The series against Washington, before that, Yankee Stadium. But again, they're the Yankees, understood. Obviously, this past series against Chicago. Boy, it's going to be interesting to see how this weekend plays out. And when we reconvene on Monday, what am I going to say about this team at that time? And then the Guardians, they could really put this division to rest. They have a game against the White Sox today at home. It's a makeup game. Then they go play the Minnesota Twins at home for five games, including a day-night doubleheader Saturday. And then they go to Chicago to play the Cubs next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They are currently three games ahead in the division. 
excuse me, four games, five in the loss to both the White Sox and Twins. So if this is a stretch here where they're going to just ice this division, this is the time to do it. They've currently won six in a row heading into this one game set against the White Sox before they host the Twins. And it's all right in front of them. No excuses. Not only could they put the division away, but you could forget about the White Sox or Twins for a wild card. And as it is, the Guardians who had a slow start, remember, they signed Jose Ramirez, I believe, what, the first month into the season. They had not gotten their sea legs until probably around the All-Star break, and then they took over the division a little bit after that. And are they going to go deep into October? If you ask me right this second, probably not. Maybe they win a wild card series because they will host as a three seed to whomever the six seed is, but it's going to be either Tampa, Toronto, or Seattle, and that's going to be a tough opening round, even for the Guardians, who have good pitching. Their lineup, other than Ramirez, you can't pick out of a lineup. Let's just call it as we see it. And let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's stay in the moment, stay in the now. They could, by this time next week, be division winners. Now, that's not to say it'll be official, but if they go in these next nine games, six and three, it's done. Now, if they go three and six or worse, that's a different story. Now, remember, the five and the loss is big because even though they're four games back, the White Sox, they win today, they'll be six back. And to make up six games over the next, what, 19, 20 games, it's going to be next to impossible. And the Twins, all they need to do is win three of the five and say bye-bye to the Twins as far as winning the AL Central. So they're in great shape. It's just a matter of what they do here over the course of the next nine. Now, granted, they've won six in a row. You're not going to expect them to run the table here. But considering that they've been playing well, and even if they win the series. So if they win today, go 3-2 and over the weekend, and then 2 out of 3 in Chicago, game, set, match. Besides that, there isn't really anything else to get into. I know we could talk about the wild cards, but we know it's the same teams. The Brewers are the only team that are outside of the wild cards that are in the running for trying to make it in as a team that's on the outside looking in, because you can forget about the American League. I know the Orioles are still mathematically there, and with the Rays losing the last couple of games and the Orioles winning two, they've inched a little bit closer, so they're only four back of the Rays as we currently speak. But I don't think the Orioles, maybe they'll make it a little bit interesting. Who knows? But it's still four games is a lot of ground to cover, even over the course of the next three weeks and in the National League with the Brewers just two back of San Diego and the Phillies putting a little distance between them and the Padres as they've won five in a row they just came out of Miami with a sweep and again they go to Atlanta for a huge series for them now they're not going to catch the Braves by any stretch even though they have seven games and they are seven games behind Atlanta for the top wildcard spot in the National League. But that means they'd have to run the table, sweep the next seven games if they have a shot to get to that level. 
that's not going to happen. But the Phillies have certainly put themselves in excellent position as they're three games ahead of the Padres. And like I mentioned, the Brewers just two back. And it'll be interesting because we'll see the Brewers next week, pretty much starting tomorrow if you're here in New York, because the Brewers will host the Yankees this weekend and then the Mets right after that. So we'll get a good look at how the Brewers are going to perform here. Not only that, how they'll pitch. We know their lineup is anemic, and that's saying a little something considering what we've watched here with the Mets over the last three days and pretty much the last couple of weeks, depending on which game you watched. But let's see if the Brewers have enough gas in the tank to keep themselves afloat here in this wild card because the Padres, if they don't make it to the postseason this year, and I understand there's been a lot of turmoil there with Tatis and that whole scenario, him not coming back and the situation with the steroids, Juan Soto, who has had his moments but has not really made an imprint on the Padres. Who knows if he's feeling that he hasn't been able to fit in 100% considering the trade right around the All-Star break. But if the Padres do not make it to the postseason, that'll be a flat-out embarrassment for everything that they've done, the signings, the trades, etc. So we will see what happens there. But besides that, there isn't anything else to report. Other than if you're following the home run chases of not only Albert Pujols that I mentioned on the podcast Monday, but Aaron Judge, who hit two more home runs a couple of nights ago at Fenway, has 57 home runs. He's four behind Roger Maris, not only for the Yankee record, but for the American League record. Because, of course, Babe Ruth had 60 once upon a time, and then Roger Maris, as we know, in 61, eclipsed that with the long-standing regular season home run record. And... However you want to slice it, people in certain areas are going to think that Roger Maris is the single-season home run champ, but some may look at Barry Bonds because it is in the record books as him hitting 73 home runs. You can look at what Mark McGuire did. You can look at what Sammy Sosa did, surpassing Maris in that year of 98, and they've done it a couple of times after that, in particular Sosa, because I believe he's hit over 60 home runs four times in his career. But we all know the stigma and the asterisk that's going to stick by their names, including Bonds, when it comes to the record. So I get it that a lot of people may not be wrapped up in it. Maybe once he hits 60, the sports fan or even the sports media will pay it a lot more mind, which I think baseball needs any type of attention that they could get because when we look at just the last... Two months, I won't even say the last month or even six weeks, this has not been a thrilling pennant race. Unless you're in the NL East, because that's been back and forth here pretty much over the course of the past month. But other than that, you've had nothing. And nobody's going to get crazy about the wild card, unless you're fans in those cities that are day by day, tooth and nail, paying attention to to see if your team's going to make it into the playoffs. And as it is right now, as we talked about the American League, Baltimore with a slim chance, but I'm sure they're already paying attention to Raven football more so than following the Orioles on a day-to-day basis. So that's what I have here with the baseball. Other than that, let's look at the schedules coming up this weekend. We talked about Philly and Atlanta a couple times and what the Guardians and Twins will have. And the Guardians have a big game today, as I mentioned, with the White Sox. But other than that, the other games of note of this upcoming weekend, you have Baltimore going to Toronto, which is pretty much going to be their season here. 
They need to win these games in the worst way. And yes, would you take two out of three if you're an Oriole fan? Absolutely. But they need to start putting winning streaks together. They just can't go in there and expect to win two out of three and think they're going to make up enough ground because time is starting to run out here if you're the Orioles. If they go in there and sweep the Blue Jays, that'd be fantastic. We know that the Blue Jays have played well here over the course of the last eight to ten days. And with the way that the Blue Jays are right now in standing when it comes to the wild card, with them, Seattle, and obviously Tampa who have the final spot, They're currently five games ahead of the Blue Jays. Really five and a half, but five and a loss. And then you have Seattle, just a game ahead of Tampa when we look at the American League wild card. But other than the Yankees, Brewers, Phillies, Braves, Guardians, Twins, that's pretty much what you're going to pay attention to here over the course of the next few days. Now I'll take off the cleats, put the bat, and helmet away and change that for another helmet but this time with shoulder pads and the NFL week two kicks off tonight in Kansas City by far the best game of the weekend and remember if you don't have Amazon Prime you might as well go ahead and either try to get a subscription now or go to a bar because you're not going to find it on NFL Network you're not going to find it on local TV unless you live in LA or Kansas City but tonight is a big game, highlight game, start of the AFC West and a lot of battles that are going to take place between all those teams throughout the course of the year. And how I look at this game tonight, does it mean much more for the Chargers than it does for the Chiefs? 100%. Because they have to go into that building. Thankfully for them, it's not in the middle of November or December whether it's going to be about 20 degrees or 30 degrees with winds whipping all over Arrowhead Stadium. So it should be seasonable. I know it's going to be raucous. We know that crowd in Kansas City is one of the best in the league. But let's see if the Chargers can make a statement game. And they did win there last year, I believe, converting a bunch of fourth downs. I believe the score was, what, 41-34 or something along those lines. So it's not as if they can't win there. Now, they're not going to have Keenan Allen, the Chargers, their top wide receiver. So that's going to be a blow. But you would think this is a game that Kansas City should win and I'm not going to say they're going to dominate or should be a pushover toward the Chargers but I would think when it's all said and done albeit maybe nip and tuck at times but I would think the Chiefs especially what they did against Arizona on the road putting up 44 points they should win comfortably I would think late against a young Charger team that obviously has aspirations for going long into January and early February. Other than that, I do not like the games this week. And I understand you're not going to have five or six marquee games throughout the course of any given week. But the ones that stick out at you, Tampa and New Orleans is going to be fascinating because for whatever the reason, the Buccaneers during the regular season cannot beat the Saints. Think about it. Last year on that Sunday night game where the Bucs were shut out, losing 9 nothing to the Saints. And who would have thought that a Tom Brady-led team would be shut out, even though they had some weapons out of that game? But the Buccaneers, that's one big question that they have to answer, whether or not that they can finally beat a Saint team who came from behind in Atlanta over the weekend. So you know that they're going to be firing on all cylinders, and I'm sure that crowd's going to be up against that team. So that's one game that we'll have to take a 
peek at. I'm not going to get crazy about Miami at Baltimore, two 1-0 teams, but this is going to be a big test for Tua to see what he does on the road against a solid team, solid defense. So let me see if he performs well and loses 27-24. That's something that you could say, all right, maybe Miami's got something. But if it's going to be one of those games where he's going to be poor in the passing game, have a couple of turnovers, some fumbles, and end up losing 28-10, then you're going to think, oh, geez, this could be tough sledding for one Tua to go over lower, especially with all the offseason acquisitions and upgrades that they made on offense to put the team around Tua that he'll be able just to get the ball to his targets and to his weapons, and then they could take it from there. The 425 game, Cincinnati at Dallas, doesn't come across as sexy now, considering that Dak Prescott is hurt and he's going to be out six to eight weeks. And then the Bengals... You would think they'll regroup and play a lot better, but we shall see. Chicago at Green Bay, yes, if you want to pump the Bears at 1-0, beating San Francisco in a monsoon, and Aaron Rodgers 0-1, trying to get in sync with his wide receivers storyline, you could do that, but I would think this game is going to be similar to last year, if you remember, when the Packers lost that first game to the Saints in Jacksonville. The next game was a Monday night against Detroit. And the Lions hung tight for a half and I believe had a 17-14 lead before the Packers took over in the second half and I believe they won 31-17. I could see it being that type of game where the Bears will be a little feisty. They'll come out, try to flex their muscles early on. Maybe Rodgers can't get in sync in the first quarter, starts to gain a little momentum in the second quarter and in the second half put the Bears away. But I could also see them coming out 21 nothing in a blink of an eye, and then the Bears are running around wondering what the hell just happened here and what hit us. So that could go either way, but I don't care. Oldest rivalry in sports or oldest rivalry in the NFL, to me, that has not been much of a rivalry, if you ask yours truly. And then you have the two Monday night games, which I do not understand. And you have your first game which is Tennessee at Buffalo, followed by Minnesota and Philadelphia. The problem with this, and I even said this when they released the schedule back in May, in the past we've seen this be a doubleheader where you have your 7-15 game and then your 10-20 or 10-15 game where it's a West Coast team. Uh Uh-uh, not this time around. The NFL, trying to outsmart the fan, figures that let's have one game overlap another. To where you have Tennessee going to Buffalo, and who knows, maybe by halftime the game will be over. But Tennessee, we understand that they could hang in there and play well, and considering what took place there on Sunday in Tennessee where they blew a 13-0 lead and then obviously let the game slip to where they lost to the Giants 21-20, maybe they'll be a little frisky and play well and hang with Buffalo for a half. But then you have Minnesota and Philadelphia, two 1-0 teams where, who knows, you may have a solid game, but let's say you're invested in Tennessee-Buffalo, but you want to watch Minnesota-Philadelphia, what are you going to do? I guess watch one game on your phone and one on your TV. Maybe that's what the NFL wants to do. But this doubleheader, if you ask me, is senseless. They should have just put a West Coast game at 10-15 so you'd be able to watch that. And I understand for the people on the East Coast, they're not going to be able to stay up to watch that game. But the Dynamo football fan, you know they're going to Watch. In fact, you could play that game 2 in the morning. And I'm sure the rating will be through the roof. So to have that back-to-back 
for all intents and purposes. I understand it's not back-to-back. They're overlapping, but they might as well put them up at the same time considering that if you're watching Tennessee-Buffalo, and let's say Tennessee at the half, they're up 17-9, to and you're thinking to yourself, oh, geez, Tennessee playing well, but oh, wait, now I want to watch Minnesota-Philadelphia. I get it. You could stick to Tennessee and Buffalo and then go into the second half of the other game, but it's just, why even bother? To me, it was just dumb for the NFL to do, and again, that's them. They could do whatever they want and put these games whenever they want, and people are going to watch. doesn't matter. But that's what you have there for a week two. And no other really big storylines. I know you had some injuries. Justin Simmons is now going to be on injury reserve, I think, for four games for Denver, which that's going to be big. But uh, other than that, you don't really have any big games. Nobody's going to get crazy about Jets in Cleveland, Washington at Detroit, Carolina at the Giants, Atlanta at L.A. to play the Rams, Seattle at San Francisco. No, this is not your mid-20-teens. Houston at Denver. Yeah, these games are just brutal. So, that's your week two in the NFL. As for the college schedule, week three, nothing really that you could circle to say, oh, I have to pay attention to this game. Tonight, you have Florida State for the Seminole fans out there. They're going to be at Louisville, ESPN 730. And that Thursday night game of many years ago, I'm talking about a decade plus, those used to be decent matchups. Those are games that you look forward to. Now, are they going to be marquee? Absolutely not. But those were games where you would pay attention to to kind of set up your weekend, but understood that the NFL, now that it's taken over, of course, that college game isn't going to be as big or isn't going to be, I'm not going to say a showcase game, because again, you're not going to see Alabama play there. You're not going to see Georgia play there. You're not going to see the heavyweights of college football play there, but you would have a decent matchup. But because the NFL cannibalizes everything, and I'm sure the college program or the college scheduling committee looked at that and said, all right, we could put a decent game there from time to time, but nobody's going to watch our game as opposed to the NFL. So you could see why those matchups haven't been like they used to once upon a time. But you have that, and then the only game that I think that you could really maybe pay attention to is BYU at Oregon. Oregon, as we all know, got spanked a few weeks ago by Georgia. And now they're back in the top 25, and BYU is kind of that team that laying in the weeds, if they continue to play well, this would be a big win for them. Now I get it, Oregon having that week one loss to Georgia does put, not going to say a stain, not going to go as far as saying that, but it could still go a long way for BYU to see if they could sneak in or be a part of the discussion when it comes to the college football playoff. So that's one game we'll have to keep an eye on. But other than that, I'm not going to get crazy about the Saturday night game, which is a game a lot of people will look at as that marquee game. It's Michigan State at Washington. I'm sorry. I'm not going to go nuts or really keep an eye on that. Other than that, you have nothing. Alabama versus, what is that, University Monroe? A lot of these homecoming type games that are on the schedule. Georgia, who's now number one in the country. They go to South Carolina. Are the Gamecocks going to put up a fight here? UConn at Michigan. Oklahoma, Nebraska for nostalgic sake. Maybe Nebraska hangs tight for a half, but you would think Oklahoma is going to prevail. So yes, and this is where part of the college football schedule goes through a little bit of that lull. 
Last week, you lucked out with the three upsets, which made college football interesting because you said bye-bye to Notre Dame, Texas A&M, brutal loss, and the aforementioned Cornhuskers, how in the hell they lose to Appalachian State is beyond me. But even with Texas almost beating Alabama, if it wasn't for the upsets, there'd be nothing to talk about when it comes to college football. So that's what we have there. And then to turn my attention to the NBA, and I got to find out when camps open up because off the top of my head, I don't know. Let me see if I can type that in because I know the NHL a week from today is when training camps open because when we get to the first week of October, I guess October 6th, 7th, that's when the NHL season will begin. But the NBA will soon follow after that and I'm sure there are a smattering of folks that are looking forward to the basketball season. Me, right at this moment, I'm not. I'm still, of course, invested in the baseball and now into the football. Of course, once basketball tips off their season, I'll be ready. But when it comes to the NBA, I want to talk about this Robert Sarver scenario where he was fined after a long investigation, not as long as Daniel Snyder in the NFL, and I'll get to that. But this investigation where Sarver was alleged to have terrible behavior and in the workplace, whether it would be racist comments, just inappropriate behavior that had been gone on for quite some time. And there were some people that thought that this could be a scenario where could it be a Donald Sterling 2.0. Now, the thing with Donald Sterling, if you remember, he was the former L.A. Clipper owner and back in 2014 where these recordings came out about things that he said to his girlfriend. And it's been some time, and I didn't do my homework on it, but pretty much just berating his own players, calling it a... And again, I'm using this loosely, people, so this is just strictly paraphrasing, but just putting it back to slave times. Let's just put it that way. And of course, when that came out, that was a firestorm that just brewed. And for those comments to come out, considering what Donald Sterling, all those rumors prior to that, we know Sterling had been an awful owner pretty much his whole existence when he got the Clippers in 84 when they moved from San Diego. And the NBA, Adam Silver, they said enough, and they pushed him out to get a buyer, and that's when Steve Ballmer came in, bought the team, and they've been respectable since then. And now they're going to move into their own arena in the next couple of years. So good for Balmer, good for the NBA. And people were thinking, could this be a similar situation to where we see Sarver out and bringing in a new owner? Well, he did get a year suspension. He did get fined $10 million for everything that was investigated. And there were some circles, LeBron James included, that thought the punishment should have been worse. Maybe should there have been expulsion? Now, as we all know, even during this investigation, I'm sure if there were any video recordings or audio recordings as we learned from Donald Sterling, maybe the punishment would have been harsher. Sadly, you need to have that type of incriminating evidence in order to really bring the hammer down on some of these owners, as we saw there with Sterling, or even... And this is a player, so I don't want to make the comparison, but we saw what happened with Ray Rice, unfortunately. 
and this was before we knew about the video, and that's a whole other story, but my point is, is that unless there's actual evidence to where it has been recorded and it's pretty much broadcast for the entire public to view, there was no way that Sarver was going to be let go of his services, or I should say, would have to forfeit him being the owner of the Phoenix Suns. And could you argue whether or not he should be gone, considering what happened eight, nine years ago with Sterling? You could make that argument, considering the world we live in here in 2022, but that's what I'm going to base it on. If somebody had a cell phone and Robert Sarver's coming into the office and he's sweet-talking one of the employees, or if he's calling certain people certain names, derogatory, racist, etc., then we could go the extra mile to say, "Uh uh-uh, this guy has to be tossed, gone, and thrown out like yesterday's newspaper. But because we didn't see it, hear it, or have any evidence of that, they feel a year will suffice and a $10 million fine. Now, if the league would have looked at it and said, bye-bye, Sarver, we're going to get another owner in there, would I have been opposed to that? Absolutely not. In fact, I would have liked to have seen it because not only is this unacceptable, but despite the fact of everything I just said, you would think that they would have looked at it to say, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to have to weed this guy out and say, it's time for you to sell this team. And I know Adam Silver... He had made a mention that it wasn't his right to take away the team from Sarver. And I guess, again, going back to the evidence that was found, yes, he probably felt that the punishment could have been a little bit harsher, even though now he's going to be, quote-unquote, on notice. But, of course, Sarver's going to be on his best behavior at this point. So, unless he just has a meltdown or flies off the handle. But... Did the NBA get it right when it was all said and done? It probably could have been harsher. I understand the fine is at the max at $10 million. Could he have gotten two years? Maybe three if they weren't going to excuse him or expel him from being owner of this team? Yes. I think the penalty should have been harsher. But then that leads to what the NFL has been doing with Daniel Snyder. And I've talked about this before, and I'm only going to spend two minutes on this. But when the NBA did what they did to Sterling years ago, and now what is happening here with Robert Sarver, you have to wonder, Daniel Snyder? Okay, we see the NBA be proactive when it comes to not only their investigations, but handing down a penalty, or even worse, having Sterling to give up his team Daniel Snyder has a laundry list and a dirty one I might add of what has happened down in Washington over the last two and a half decades and for the NFL to not act or even let's say react to this and I mentioned this on my TikTok feed yesterday I get it the NFL is the old boys club I get it that they're all going to look out for one another I get it that The commissioner, Roger Goodell, is going to look out for the owners. But when does it stop? 
what is going to happen more from not only just Daniel Snyder, but any other owner. And we've seen this happen with Jerry Richardson, the former Carolina owner, where he was pretty much excused of his ownership. Maybe not excused is the right word, but you get what I'm saying. And yes, they're going to look at Carolina as not a marquee franchise in the sport. And the commanders are not the former, and I'm not talking about the Washington football team, but they're not the Redskins anymore. And I get it when you look at the Redskins and their history. Yes, you're going to think about Billy Kilmer, Sonny Jurgensen, Jack Kent Cook, Joe Gibbs, the Hogs, Joe Theismann, the three Super Bowl teams. Uh, go on down the list, Daryl Green, etc. And even though they play in a stadium that they're looking to move to and relocate, and the team has been a shell of its old self, and I don't want to hear because they made the playoffs a couple of years ago at 7-9 and nine and had a good performance against Tampa that that was a successful year because, let's face it, that shouldn't be the standard, making it into the postseason at 7-9 and nine and having a good run under Taylor Heineke against the eventual Super Bowl champions. No, that's nothing to really puff your chest out for. But in closing, what is the NFL going to do with Daniel Snyder? Could somebody give me a clue? Could somebody say something? And I'm just tired of the narrative that it's not that easy. Oh, we can't do this. Yes, they can. And Schneider, as we all know, has been not a terrible owner. He has been an atrocity. And I'm sure a lot of the commander fans or Washington football team, whatever you want to call them, I'm sure they want him out faster than the dishwater at the bottom of the sink. So... NFL, what are you going to do? I hate to end on that note because I could ramble on with this. That'll do it, my good people. Glad you stopped by to get your fix and fill on what's happening in the world of sports. And you know I appreciate you, each and every one of you guys and gals, for tuning in, whether you're a first-timer, a tenth-timer, or a diehard going back to the very beginning. Thank you so much for passing by. And if you haven't done so... You can participate on your end by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. We all know there are a zillion podcasts out there and a zillion sports ones at that. And yes, I am a one-man operation, slowly but surely trying to move up the chain to get myself out there to be that household name. And with your help, by going to your favorite podcast platform, or even if you go to a couple, maybe it is Spotify, maybe it is Apple Podcasts or Google Spreaker, Stitcher, whatever it is, please do so. Even post it on social media. Share it with your friends, family, the sports fan in your life. Again, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to send me a question, comment, suggestion, you could do so by going to any of my social media accounts. As I mentioned earlier, on TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. On Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way by going to the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, equipment, website, upkeep, etc. I know I've made some mentions about some merchandise that I got upcoming, and I already have it. It's in my apartment. I haven't been able to 
work around the website because I want to put that up there for everybody to see, to order. And in the coming days, I will post on my social media accounts if anybody's interested and wants to cop a shirt to represent the J Reels podcast because you know I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate not only your support but your contribution as well. Whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do. This is what's in the blood since birth. It's in my DNA, talking sports, critiquing, analyzing, sharing my thoughts, opinions on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>